chapter 2 this evening and we'll look at the meat offering. Can I welcome you as well? Can I thank you for being here? It's always encouraging on night 2 to see that there's people out. That means something's going sort of half well. Of course you could all be different people. Uh, You weren't here last night but I recognise a few faces so I'm encouraged that way. But it's good to see you and we trust that you'll be blessed as we think about the Lord's word together tonight. Leviticus 2, we're going to read this chapter together and we have all the details pertaining to the meat offering in this chapter of scripture. So verse 1, and when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour and he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense thereon. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take thereout his handful of the flour thereof, and of the oil thereof, with all the frankincense thereof. And the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar, to be an offering made by fire of a sweet savour unto the Lord. And the remnant of the meat offerings shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. And if thou bring an oblation of a meat offering, bacon in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mingled with oil, or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. And if thy oblation be a meat offering, bacon in a pan, it shall be of fine flour unleavened, mingled with oil. Thou shalt part it in pieces, and pour oil thereon, It is a meat offering. And if thy oblation be a meat offering, bacon in the frying pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And thou shalt bring the meat offering that is made of these things unto the Lord. And when it is presented unto the priest, he shall bring it unto the altar. And the priest shall take from the meat offering a memorial thereof, and shall burn it upon the altar. It is an offering made by fire. Of a sweet savour unto the Lord. And that which is left of the meat offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. No meat, no meat offering which ye shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven. For ye shall not, for ye shall burn no leaven, nor any honey, in any offering of the Lord made by fire. As for the oblation of the first fruits, Ye shall offer them unto the Lord, but they shall not be burnt on the altar for a sweet savour. And every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from the meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. And if thou offer a meat offering of the firstfruits unto the Lord... Thou shalt offer for the meat offering of the firstfruits green ears of corn dried by the fire, even corn beaten out of full ears. Thou shalt put oil upon it and lay frankincense thereon. It is a meat offering. And the priest shall burn the memorial of it, part of the beaten corn thereof and part of the oil thereof, with all the frankincense thereof. It is an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Amen. We end our reading there at the close of the chapter and we trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to our hearts tonight. We're going to bow just very briefly in a moment's prayer and ask the Lord for help as we come this evening. Eternal 
And Heavenly Father, we lift our hearts to thee in prayer this evening. And we recognize, O God, that as we come to thy word, we need thy help. We recognize that it is thy word. And therefore we need thy spirit to come, O God, and to open it up unto our hearts. And to teach us and to instruct us. O God, we pray that thou would speak, that there would be a word in season for every heart. Lord, we pray that thou wouldst give help. We pray that thy word would be broken up and it could be understood and, and consumed within the hearts of these people. We pray for every soul, whether they know the Lord or whether they don't, that thy word would have free course, O God, and that would speak into hearts even tonight. O God, I pray for myself. Lord, thou knowest my weakness. But we rejoice in the scripture that reminds us, O God, that, that in our weakness thy strength is made perfect. And we rest afresh on thy strength tonight, O God. We're leaning on thee. And we're looking to thee, O God, to help. Come and be with us, O God. Speak to souls. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we've read this passage together in Leviticus on the chapter 2. And you will notice, if you look at the detail here in this chapter 2, that though this is called the meat offering... There is no meat contained therein. There is no meat. No blood has been shed in this offering. In fact, if you look at the detail and you think about what we have read together in this chapter 2, effectively what we have here is something akin to a recipe for bread. And that's what we're seeing. It's almost like a recipe for bread or something very similar to bread. So why then is it called the meat offering? Why is it called the meat offering? There's no meat, there's no blood, uh, there's no shedding of blood in this offering. Why is it called the meat offering? Well, you've got to bear in mind that we have before us in our King James Version the most accurate translation. We, we firmly believe that. But in the 17th century, that word meat, it really applied to all food. And so that's why it says meat offering. And so that's the reference there. It says meat offering. Sometimes if you talk to older folk, they'll, they'll, they'll talk about eating your meat. Go away off and eat your meat. They don't mean you're, you're getting a steak. Well, probably they don't mean that. I don't know what they mean. But they're, they're talking about food. Go and eat your lunch. Go and eat your dinner. Whatever the case may be. Well, that's the sense in which the word is used here in Leviticus chapter 2. Uh, so some commentators will call it the meat offering. Some will, will say the meal offering, and we can understand that. Some will, will talk about the grain offering. And they're all referring, of course, to the same thing. So that's the first thing ticked off. You understand why it's called the meat offering this evening. But tonight, uh, I want to do the same thing, really, as we did last evening. I'm going to give you three headings and some thoughts underneath each of these headings. And I trust that will help us to understand this offering and the significance of this offering here in chapter 2. Tonight you're in for a treat. The three headings are alliterate. I don't always do that. So there you are. It may be more memorable. It may not. We'll see. Uh, but the first, the first heading I give you tonight is the motive. What is the motive behind the meat offering? What's the purpose? Why would an individual come and bring a meat offering? Well, just like last night when we thought about the burnt offering, there are a number of factors, a number of themes when we think about the motive, the purpose, the reason why the meat offering 
was made. The first factor, I suppose, is, is thanksgiving. That's the first motive or purpose behind the meat offering. Thanksgiving. Those who were bringing this offering are acknowledging the Lord's goodness. The Lord has made provision for them. And there is food for them. And those who bring this offering, they're acknowledging that. There's this element of, of gratitude towards the Lord. An offering is made of the harvest of the fields. The Lord has provided that harvest. So there is thanksgiving. There is praise to the Lord for what he has provided for his goodness. And in some of our churches, we do something similar at a certain time of year. We think about the Lord's provision. And whether we do it in our churches or not, when we get to harvest time, we're always thankful. We look at the fields, we see the harvest being brought in, and we're thankful to the Lord. We're grateful for his goodness. He has provided for us for yet another year. Well, it's a similar sort of idea here. Often, behind this meat offering, it's, it's thanksgiving is the theme. That's the motive. I remember uh, reading a little while ago about a prominent missionary society in England many, many years ago. And as the society met, the committee or whatever it was, one of the clergymen was sitting at the meeting and they were having a discussion, sort of a random discussion, and, and one man asked the clergyman, was it socially acceptable to say grace at a formal banquet? And you can picture a formal banquet, the big long tables, the white cloths, the silverware, all that, everybody's geared up, that, that sort of thing. Is it socially acceptable in that kind of situation to say grace? And the clergyman thought about it for a minute and he remembered uh, visiting someone in their home and sitting at their kitchen table and, and looking at the wall. And on the wall there was a picture. The picture was of, of an outhouse. And there were mules and there were oxen and they were eating in the shed. And naturally as they're eating, they're, they're spilling the food, the fodder, the meal on the ground. And underneath the painting were these words. Who without prayers sits down to eat and without thanks then leaves the table, tramples the gift of God with feet and is like the mule and ox in the stable. And so there and then he silenced the committee and that was the end of it. Of course it's socially acceptable to say grace no matter where you are. But I suppose there's a challenge there for us young people. So often we're not as thankful as we should be. We're, we're not as grateful to the Lord as we should be. And there are young men here and one day perhaps you will be heads of household. We'll never be afraid in the future as a head of household to, to say grace before you eat as a family. That's a good practice to be in. That's a good thing to teach your family. That we're recognizing every single day that the food that is before us comes from the Lord. And we're grateful for that. And so there is that theme of thanksgiving when we think about the meat offering. Another theme here, another purpose or motive is homage. Homage. Now what is homage? It's, it's reverence. Or it is respect. And the meat offering is an act of homage. Whereby an individual recognizes their position before a higher authority. And so that's what we see. When the individual brings the meat offering. He's recognizing his own position before a higher authority. Who's the higher authority? Almighty God. And he brings this gift of homage. It's a token for the Lord in recognition of the Lord's almighty power. 
The Lord who has provided. The sovereignty of God is being acknowledged. Whenever the meat offering is offered up. And this idea of a gift of homage. Is seen right throughout the scriptures. You think about the Old Testament. And you think about Jacob. And he sent his sons into Egypt. Why did he do that? Because there was famine in the land. And he sent his sons away to seek food from Egypt. They needed provision. And as these sons went to Egypt, what did they do? They brought gifts. They brought gifts and presented them to the Egyptians. They were recognizing their position before a higher authority. You could think in the New Testament of the wise men. And how they travelled from afar to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this great journey, this, this great distance, and, and they get before the Saviour. What do they do? They bow before him, but they bring gifts. Gifts of homage. They're recognising their position before a higher authority. And that's the idea of homage here. Uh, and the meat offering is considered a gift of homage, the one who offers it recognizes the authority, the sovereignty of God. He bows before God. He submits to God. And of course, this homage, it leads us on to think of a third theme that's there, the purpose, the motive behind the meat offering. And it's this, consecration. Consecration. The offerer, when he brings the meat offering consecrates or dedicates himself to the Lord. All that he have, he dedicates to the Lord. His body, his possessions, his property, he's giving it all over to the Lord. One commentator describes the meat offering as a token of consecration. And You remember that, that normally the meat offering accompanied the burnt offering or the peace offering. The meat offering was never offered by itself because it was a bloodless sacrifice it always had to accompany another sacrifice and often it accompanied the burnt offering or the peace offering you remember what we said about the burnt offering last night atonement is made acceptance with God so the blood being shed and acceptance with God being secured now this meat offering is brought and and there is consecration there's there's devotion to God in the individual that brings the offering and the same applies to us young people even today. The moment that we're saved, the moment that we're washed in Christ's blood, the moment that we have that acceptance with God that Christ has secured, the moment that we are redeemed, we're no longer our own. We ought to give our lives over entirely unto the Lord. We ought to consecrate our lives in their entirety to the Lord. We, we see that in the scriptures in 1 Corinthians in the chapter 6. The fact is there before us that, that we as Christians, we are not our own. Our lives are not our own. First Corinthians chapter 6, a couple of verses here that are so well known. Verse 19, Paul says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And we're reminded that that is the people of God. That the moment that our sins are cleansed away, that we're saved. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. 
And therefore, our lives should be consecrated to the Lord, given over in devotion to the Lord. You remember that the meat offering was made twice a day, in the morning and in the evening. Now, when we apply that to the theme of consecration, that reminds us that we're constantly to be devoted to the Lord. All day, every day, we are to be consecrated unto the Lord as his people. And so we will consider this theme of consecration more and more as we move through the detail here in chapter 2. But we'll also see Christ in this offering. In all of these offerings that we consider this week, we will see the Saviour. And the meat offering, it points us to our Saviour's life, his earthly ministry, what he did here on this earth. And we'll turn our eyes towards our Saviour as we go through the detail. So we have the motives there, thanksgiving, homage, and consecration. Those are the main motives that lie behind the meat offering. That's the purpose. That's why this offering was made by an individual. The second heading I give you is the method. The method, and I'm going back to to school days, home economics. Some of you are there at the moment. You remember when you're given a recipe in home economics, the ingredients are at the top. Then what's underneath? The method, the instructions. This is how you carry it out. Whether you do it well or not, it's a different matter. But this is the method. This is what you are to do. Well, the Lord gives detailed instructions here about carrying out the meat offering. He gives detailed instructions even about the ingredients. Look at verse 2 of Leviticus and the chapter 2. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, and he shall take thereout his handful of the flour thereof, and of the oil thereof, with all the frankincense thereof, and the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar to be an offering made by fire of a sweet savour unto the Lord. And there we have detailed instructions. We're given ingredients as well. We're seeing how this is to come together. So let's think about some of those ingredients that are included. Flour. There in verse 1 we read of fine flour. In verse 4 again we read of fine flour. The fact that fine flour is to be offered in the meat offering. Now there is an emphasis there. It's not just flour. It is to be fine flour. It's not to be the coarse flour. Just any old standard. It must be of the best the highest quality. Only the best is to be offered unto the Lord. And of course we notice that Last evening as well when we thought about the burnt offering. Only the very best is to be offered to the Lord. And when these people brought their offerings to the Lord, it had to be the highest standard, the best that they had. One commentator says, This fine flour was well sifted, free from every unevenness, coarseness and speck. The highest quality flour. Whatever we think about the fact that this flour had to be fine flour. And then we think about the fact that that this offering speaks of consecration in our lives as Christians. It reminds us that as believers that often we've got to sieve out the inconsistencies in our own lives. As Christians, we've got to sieve out the inconsistencies. And we all have inconsistencies. Sin, hypocrisy, lethargy, laziness in our Christian lives. We've got to sift out these things because only the very best is to be offered unto the Lord. 
It would require effort and energy and time to sieve out the flour. To get that fine flour to offer unto the Lord. And so it will require effort and energy and time for us to sieve out all the inconsistencies, the impurities in our hearts and lives as Christians. But we've got to do it. If we're going to consecrate ourselves fully to the Lord. And so we see this fine flour. But this fine flour, of course, it also points us to the Saviour. Flour was a staple in Bible times. Bread was a staple in Bible times. They weren't so much potato people. Bread was their main carbohydrate, if you like. That's going back to home economics as well. But bread was their staple. It was essential for their survival. You think about the children of Israel as they walked through the wilderness. And the Lord sent the manna, bread. And we know that that manna was a type of Christ. It pointed to Christ. We see that in the scriptures. You think about the Savior and one of the titles he gives himself is the bread of life. This connection is there in the scriptures between Christ and, and bread. Bread absolutely vital and essential for life, to, to maintain life for the people of God in these days. And so Christ is absolutely essential for eternal life. You see the significance here and why Christ is often associated with bread. And so the fine flour here in Leviticus chapter 2, it reminds us of Christ. You see that fine flour had no irregularities, no foreign bodies, nothing to spoil it, nothing impure within it. It was without spot. Does that not remind us of our Savior? His perfection. He is without spot. Pure, undefiled. So we see the flour here, the fine flour. But we see another vital ingredient here, and that's the oil. The oil is mentioned repeatedly in these verses of Scripture. And oil is to be included in the meat offering. Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentator, says, Oil was to them in their food what butter is to us now. It was in all the meals. It was there, so it wasn't so dry, I suppose. Oil was needed so that this fine flour could be baked. It was necessary. Oil in the scriptures, of course, is very significant. Because oil was used to set apart in the scriptures. You think about a priest or a king in the scriptures when he is to be anointed. What happens? He's anointed with oil. He's set apart by the anointing of oil. He's set apart for his office. By the anointing of oil. And of course oil in the scriptures is also a symbol of the spirit of God. And whenever we think about living consecrated lives as the children of God. Living for the Lord. Seeking to serve the Lord. Laboring for the Lord. How we need the spirit. How we need the spirit of God. And the oil was poured into the fine flour. Saturated the fine flour. Christian young people, if we're going to live consecrated lives for the Lord, we need to be saturated by the Spirit of God. That's what we need. In everything we do, in our efforts to live for the Lord individually, but also as congregation, as a group of young people, we need the Spirit of God. We need to be infilled by the Spirit. And again, we turn our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Scripture says he had the Spirit without measure. You think about the incarnation. Mary was found of a child of the Holy Spirit. 
the start of our Savior's earthly life. You think about Christ's baptism. And we see the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And in that verse that, that I have pointed you to, John 3.34, For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. He had the Spirit without measure. And again we're taken to see our Saviour. Fine flour, oil, frankincense of course, is here in this uh, what's the word? List of ingredients. Is that the word? That's, that's several words. But we'll go with that. Frankincense is here in this list of ingredients. Of course, frankincense is something that, that gives a pleasant smell. But frankincense in the scripture, it speaks to us of prayer. Now, let's see that. You turn with me to Revelation in the chapter 8. And you will see that for yourself. Revelation chapter 8, there is this association between prayer and frankincense. Frankincense symbolizes prayer. Revelation chapter 8, way towards the end of our scriptures, on the verse 3 of Revelation, and the chapter 8. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that should that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. There was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints. There is this connection in scripture between incense and prayer. And does that not remind us as, as God's children, if we're going to live lives of consecration for the Lord, if we're going to live lives that are devoted to the Lord, consecrated in the service to the Lord, we must be constant in prayer. Prayer must infiltrate our lives day and daily, all the time. We must get to the place where, where we simply breathe out prayer. That, that's our habit. That's the way we move through our days. It's so difficult for us to do that, but we've got to discipline ourselves. Prayer. And of course, again, when we think of frankincense, which speaks of prayer, our hearts are taken to Christ. What's the Lord Jesus Christ, God, the Son, doing even at this moment in time? He's seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding and praying for his people. And so when these ingredients that are added in here to this recipe, if you like, our hearts can even be drawn to the Savior. Salt is something else that's mentioned here in verse 13 of Leviticus chapter 2. And every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. Salt is essential in the meat offering. What does salt do? It preserves. It preserves from corruption. It prevents corruption. It speaks of, of endurance. And so there is to be no corruption, there is to be no impurity in the life of a Christian, one who's consecrated to the Lord. Our lives ought to be pure lives as much as they can be if we are to live and honour the Lord. It says there in verse 13, the mention is made as of the salt of the covenant of thy God. A salt in the Bible is a symbol of friendship. Uh, and when covenants were made between men, what they would do was they would sit down and eat a meal together and the salt would be there. 
the salt of the covenant. Even in Arab countries, even today, I am told that, that they have this salt of the covenant when they make an agreement. Salt is there. Speaks of faithfulness between two parties that have made an agreement, that have made a covenant. Well, child of God, we're in a covenant relationship with Almighty God because we've been redeemed through Christ's blood. And God is ever so faithful to us. We need to be reminded that we've got to be faithful to him. And so all of these things are to be included in the meat offering. But there are a few things that must be left out. The scripture is very precise about this. You look at verse 11 in chapter 2. No meat offering which ye shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven. For ye shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering of the Lord made by fire. Leaven is to be left out. Now leaven, of course, is a rising agent. You put leaven into bread, it makes it rise. And in the scriptures, leaven is used to illustrate evil. You see, leaven ferments, it corrupts, it pollutes. As I say, it puffs up and puffs out the bread. That reminds us of the arrogance and pride of man. When you think about an arrogant and proud man walking about with his chest puffed out. There is no place for pride or arrogance in any offering made to the Lord. Man has no right to be proud. Honey is to be left to the side as well there in verse 11. Honey speaks of, of natural sweetness. Just like leaven, it will sour. And the Lord desires nothing of earthly sweetness in this offering. You see, all of these details, they all carry significance. And these offerings that are to be brought, the meat offering, there's to be no corruption, there's to be no carnal sweetness, nothing that would appeal to the natural man. That, that's all to be left to the side. And of course that challenges us as Christians. We've got to examine our hearts for the corruption in our own hearts, for the carnal sweetness that may be there, the things that we're following and hankering after that we ought not to have. And there's challenge. So you think about this, young people, this meat offering, when we're thinking about the fact that we are to have consecrated lives, the fine flour, it reminds us we're to give of our very best unto the Lord. We're to sift out those things that ought not to be in our lives. You think about the frankincense. We are to be men and women of prayer. You think about the oil. We need to be saturated by the spirit. You think about the salt. We need to be pure men and women. And we've got to leave pride and arrogance and carnal things out of our lives. All of this has significance. Whenever we think about the consecrated lives, we must live for the Lord. The motive, the method. But finally, Briefly, almost finish, we see the modes. The modes. There are different ways in which this meat offering can be brought to the Lord. What I mean by that? Well, last night we thought about the burnt offering and the fact that depending on what your class, your status, what wealth you had, you could either bring a bullock, but if you didn't have so much money, you could build a ram. And if you didn't have... Even as much money as that, you could offer some birds. Well, it's the same thing here in the meat offering. It can be brought unbaked. It can be brought baked in an oven. It can be brought in a pan or in a frying pan. Depending on your social standing, no matter how wealthy you were, no matter how poor you were, you can partake 
in this meat offering. And of course you know the application there, Christian young people. No matter what your station is in life, no matter who you are or what you are, no matter how insignificant you consider yourself to be, no matter if you think you have no influence or sway, regardless, as Christians, we consecrate our lives unto the Lord, all that we have, into his service. You think about the widow there, casting in her mate, all that she had, and she gave it to the Lord. All of these details bring out so many applications to us as Christians. We draw it to a close this evening. We have seen parallels with our Saviour. The fine flower, without blemish, that's our Saviour. The oil, well he, our Saviour, had the spirit without measure. The frankincense, our Saviour, even now prays, intercedes for his people at the Father's right hand. Some people look on and Look at the details here and and look at how the meat offering was to be baked in the fire or near the fire and the different ways in which it was to be offered. And they feel that perhaps this indicates the suffering of our Saviour and ultimately his death on the cross. And so as we draw to a close this evening thinking about this meat offering, we finish once more thinking about our spotless Saviour at Calvary's cross Shedding his precious blood for undeserving sinners like you and me. That's where we have to close. That's where we have to get to every time we come to the word of God. We've got to get to the cross. And we've got to get to our saviour. What he did for undeserving sinners. I ask you this evening again as I asked you last evening. What does Jesus Christ mean to you? Is he your saviour? Is he your Lord? Is he the one who paid the price for you on Calvary's cross? Are you trusting in him alone for salvation? We pray, young person, if you're not yet saved, that you'd come to Christ and come tonight because we don't know what a day brings forth. Amen. Trust the Lord will bless these thoughts to our hearts this evening. Let's just bow in prayer. Eternal and loving Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that when we come to these offerings in the Old Testament, though they seem so strange and foreign to us, O God, there is so much application to our hearts. And we pray that we would heed the application, O God. We pray that we would live those consecrated lives and be those Christians, O God, that we ought to be. We pray, O God, that if any would be here outside of Christ, That they would look on our Saviour with the eyes of faith tonight. O God, that they would be saved. Help us to mull over the things that we have thought about this evening. And O God, draw us closer to thyself this week. We pray and give thee thanks for the good things that have been provided. We pray for thy hand upon our fellowship, O God. We pray that thou wouldst protect us and take us home tonight. Even bring us out again tomorrow night. And O God, fill this hall for thy glory. In Jesus' name we pray.